next thing you know, like there is no correlation yet between the revenue that we're bringing in paying for our expenses. And so revenue optimization is harder to achieve when you have a company who is scaling with receiving investment. Hey everyone, this is Mary Grothy, founder and CEO. You're listening to the Revenue Radio Podcast brought to you by House of Revenue. Each week, we'll talk about common revenue challenges and how to get past them, share real-world experiences, and get a glimpse into my life as a CEO scaling my own business. If you're a struggling entrepreneur or just an entrepreneur looking to be inspired, this podcast is for you. I'll give you honest, unfiltered, and practical insights into growing your business and getting past your revenue plateau. My team was talking about our blog strategy for this upcoming quarter. We started diving out keywords and key phrases that we believe our community cares about. In that process, We started to identify that the world has certainly adopted and taken on understanding revenue operations, how to break down walls and barriers between revenue departments. But is anyone really owning the full revenue funnel from an optimization standpoint? Or do we still have department heads in charge of their scorecard and their metrics? Who is taking all of that data and ensuring that revenue is optimized from acquiring all the way through retaining customers? That led us to believe revenue optimization should be a focus for us to talk about. That's what we're doing today. What is revenue optimization? I would define revenue optimization as the process of identifying and implementing new methods that make the process of attracting, acquiring, and retaining customers more efficient and cost-effective. When I first started consulting on small businesses, I learned how to make a pro forma. I learned early on to quote unquote, know your numbers. Knowing your numbers allows you to make business decisions quickly and to know that you're confident those decisions will most likely have a good outcome. The business runs off of the financial engine that you've built. The foundation for finance is critical in making any other decisions. I once heard Companies who bootstrap are way healthier financially with revenue optimization versus companies who are funded. When you're a funded company and you get a large sum of cash injected into the business multiple times throughout the life cycle of your initial scale, you're not feeling the pressure and the weight of having pure revenue optimization and profitability out of the gate. In fact, you're raising money because you're upside down. You can't possibly dev out the product or technology with financing yourself off of revenue or cash flow. You can't add the headcount that you need to get the right people in the right seats when you don't have the revenue coming in and the cash flow. 
most commonly, this is seen in companies that do something with a product. So whether it's a technology or a product, I haven't seen a lot of companies who are service-based businesses acquire funding and scale. It is more common on product and technology. Well, what happens when you receive a chunk of cash is if you're receiving that initial investment while you're in your product message phase, your product message phase, you're not really looking for profitability. You need to report to investors. You need to prove that your hypothesis with your prototype can actually gain a handful of customers in the market. That's your product message fit or founder message fit. You have, as the founder, a problem that you've identified in the market and you've built a prototype or an MVP that you're able to take to the market to prove to your investors that people will buy this. Typically, the initial early adopters are people inside of that founder's network, and they're able to attract those people through a relationship, but they spare no expense of getting the sale. It's not profitable. Then once you have enough people using your product or technology, you can start to transition to early stages of product market fit. Pure product market fit takes a long time to achieve. But once you are able to get a handful of good paying customers on board and they're on your product long enough to get a feedback loop, whether that's three months, six months, 12 months, 18 months, it's different for every company. Then you get the feedback loop and the data that shows the problem you set out to solve is actually being solved. The customers agree with you. They're using the product or technology the way that you said that they would or should, and they're getting the results that you said that they would or should. With that, that's when you can start to say, hey, we have product market fit. Now you have something that you can get ready for go-to-market fit. So you go back and raise again. Meanwhile, you're not tracking the finances. <laughs> I mean, okay, let me give you some grace. You're probably tracking the dollars, but there's no revenue optimization at this point, or if there is, there's very little. It's not the emphasis. Your emphasis is on obtaining that first level of product market fit and trying to get to a level to, to which you can do your first stage of scale, that startup scale, when you're trying to identify what that go-to-market fit is once you've uh, confirmed you have a subset of customers that are willing to pay for the product and get the right ROI out of using it. With that, you get another chunk of cash and now you just go higher like crazy and you take portions of the raise. This is going towards R&D or this portion is going towards the tech roadmap and getting our technology even more. This portion is going towards hiring people. This is going towards our internal processes, whatever it is. Next thing you know, like there is no correlation yet between the revenue that we're bringing in paying for our expenses. And so revenue optimization is harder to achieve when you have a company who is scaling with receiving investment. You can still build your revenue economics. If you need to understand what revenue economics is, go to houseofrevenue.com, click on our tech SaaS page at the bottom of it, there's a download, a revenue economics download. Grab that. It's a beautiful spreadsheet and it shows you how to model out building a sales department and what your input and output and profit is going to be. 
it's a great model to show you 12, 24, 36 months. It's a pro forma built specifically for growing your sales department, but it also takes into consideration pieces like your client acquisition costs and marketing expense and et cetera. Please go grab that resource to learn more about revenue economics. That'll be helpful for you. So a company who has received investment and they're scaling off of that investment typically has these spurts of expenses out and then down the road, they'll have the return on that with revenue coming in. It's more difficult to have revenue optimization for a scaling company who's going through product message fit, product market first stage fit and go to market fit. It's more difficult to have revenue optimization there. If you look at a bootstrap company, a bootstrap company typically has revenue optimization from day one. From day one, they're financing their company through cash flow. They know their numbers intimately. Bootstrapping is more common for service-based companies. Now, bootstrapping might also be common for founders that are able to acquire a technology that's already written, the code is already in place, and they're not shelling out half a million dollars out of the gate to get the technology. They may have acquired that, they might have short-term debt against that, but then they're able to, through cash flow of early paying customers, they're able to finance the growth through revenue. When you can bootstrap, your revenue optimization is typically much clearer. In that pro forma or revenue economic sheet, you're able to identify exactly how we make money. Here are the one, two, three, four, five lines of business, whatever it might be, ancillary products or services that we can sell. Here's the average revenue per client. And then you can back into a reverse funnel on that. How much does it cost to acquire a client? Well, when you build a reverse funnel, you can say, hey, when we made a million dollars, this year in top line revenue over a hundred customers. So that's 10,000 each, I think. And then <laughs> math isn't my strong suit. If I'm wrong, just pick whatever number is correct while you listen to me. You back into that number. If everybody was worth 10,000 in your average revenue per sale, what was your close rate from proposal? So for every proposal you put out, how many did you close? Maybe it was 50%. So you divide the 10,000 by 50. So you need 20,000 in proposal in order to get it to close. Then you look at how many you're closing per month, and then you back that number into how much pipeline do you need in order to have that much go into proposal to close 50%. Then when you look at pipeline, how many meetings do you need to have? Well, then you divide that number out. Then you look at how many calls, emails, uh, nurture sequences, paid ads, social media posts, all of your attraction methods, how much of that do you need to do in order to get X amount of discovery meetings? And so then you need to look back through your numbers. This is all revenue optimization. So when you're able to look at the numbers down to the granular expense on attraction methods, expense and volume, how much does it cost us and how many do we need to do in order to yield X amount of meetings, that reverse funnel is critical to understand. Then you have the making of your expense around attraction into acquiring the customer. But then we go into the whole second half of the bow tie funnel and getting into retaining the customer. So we'll pause for a second. The difference, the big difference between bootstrap company and a funded company is a bootstrap company typically has to 
adhere to growth as they can afford it. Oftentimes through bootstrap growth, they may take on a short-term debt, short like an SBA loan or something to infuse a little bit of cash. But oftentimes you'll see bootstrap companies wait to invest into the growth until they have a surplus of cash waiting or their cash flow allows for that growth. But that's typically what we see. So when we look at getting into the customer funnel, you should be able to identify the cost of adoption. So that's stage one of the customer journey in the bow tie funnel, adoption, which includes new client onboarding, implementation, customization, and training. That section of the customer journey, you should know your cost for adoption in, in labor, technology, resources, and length of time. Understanding those metrics, if you're looking to optimize the adoption stage, if you're looking at, well, it takes us 90 days to accomplish all of that, and it takes three team members through the process. Okay, well, how, if you're looking in revenue optimization, remember, it's the process of identifying and implementing new methods uh, that make the process of attracting, acquiring, and retaining customers more effective, excuse me, efficient and cost effective. So when you look at the adoption step and you're looking at making this more efficient and cost effective and you're able to allocate a dollar amount for the expense of the people resources and technology to get your new client onboarded trained implemented customized using it and giving the thumbs up and signing off that they've adopted the technology and everyone in their company is using it you have no very little risk of churn at that step because it's highly adopted. What is the expense to make that happen? And are you deducting that in your pro forma? Are you understanding the cost to get a customer through adoption? Secondly, what is your cost to retain a customer? Studies show it's 7% um, less expensive to retain a customer than it is to get a new one. So you could start there as a benchmark. If you know your client acquisition costs, you could look at a number that's seven times less expensive than that if a retention as a really great benchmark. How much should we be spending on retaining a customer? Retaining a customer, who are the key people in this? Relationship managers, customer success. What is marketing doing to help with customer education and making sure that the customers have everything that they need? They're highly engaged in using the product or service and you don't have any indicators, early warning indicators that they might churn. During this stage in revenue optimization, if you're looking at understanding the cost of your churn, you should run more than just a regular churn analysis. You should actually look at the churn by lead source type of client, dig into the granular level detail to understand if you have trends in churn. Let me simplify this. Maybe you do a churn analysis based on size of company or the stage that they're in. Let's say you churn startups at 50%, but your retention rate is 90% on mature companies. Well, you have a decision to make. Do you stop working with startups because you're killing your bottom line with that churn rate? Or do you optimize your process for onboarding and implementing and servicing startups? Do you maybe adjust the way that you built your product or technology or service for startups, you modify what you're selling them in order to meet their needs better. Well, you have to do a voice of the customer interview or survey. You've got to create a feedback loop. You have to ask questions and understand revenue optimization is not just a set of numbers. 
How, where are KPIs? What do the metrics say? Revenue optimization is the process of identifying and then implementing new methods. Method is not a technology or just a technology. We're talking about the process of identifying. So audit, research, ask questions, compare the data, and then implementing new methods. Typically, a method would contain the process, the methodology, the technology, the people, the how-to, but implementing that feedback loop all the way around. After you get through your churn analysis, you need to dig into revenue expansion. If we're talking about optimizing revenue, one of the greatest areas that you can do that is expanding revenue on your existing customers. You should be able to identify, create a chart, and say, hey, of these customers, how many of them have products or services that we could sell them that they haven't yet purchased? Do that analysis, identify the revenue per customer that you have sitting in the base that's unsold. Create an account management plan per client to figure out how you're going to secure that revenue. You can also associate the expense of an account manager to that exercise and also set a quota, a goal, and a commission payout to obtain that additional revenue. What is that worth to the company? Then the last part is advocacy. How are you optimizing revenue through advocacy? Have you built a client incentive program that meets the client where they are and gets them excited to refer? Or are you relying on your sales team or account managers to ask your clients for referrals, which by the way, they don't do. And when they do do it, which is rare, it's awkward. Who else do you know that could benefit from using our product or service? Like that's so lame. People don't want to refer in that instance. They want to be led to refer because they absolutely love your product or service. And you've created a pathway that is super simple for them to become an advocate. And hopefully they get something in return. Short story. I'm a gluten-free vegan and there's a pizza place by our office in Denver. Uh, As a gluten-free vegan, I have very few restaurants that I can go and actually pig out and eat something absolutely delicious. Usually I'm stuck with eating a salad. (laughs) Well, this pizza place has the best gluten-free vegan pizza I've ever had in my life. I had purchased it multiple times when we moved into that space. And then one day I saw that they had an app. So I downloaded the app. I started ordering through the app. And next thing I know, I had a pop-up on the app that said, Use this link, just push this button, like click this, and it'll send this in a text message to your friends. And for every two people who download it, they get free cheesy bread, and then you get a free pizza. I was like, are you freaking kidding me? Do you know how easy they made it for me to refer? I sent it to everybody that I knew, and I... (laughs) That I know. And I've been eating a lot of free pizza. It's amazing. But they made it simple for me. Granted, it's usually easier to think of a client incentive program example when you're looking at a B2C sale, the consumer-driven sale. But if you're a B2B, challenge yourself to figure it out inside of your business how you can create the same type of easy way ever to get people excited about referring. Do they get free product? Do they get coupons, points, dollars off of their next invoice? What do they get? Make it easy for them. Make an automated link inside of your technology. They can just push a button and invite other people to the platform. Should be the simplest thing that you create and it should yield significant returns. That creates the CSQL, Customer Success Qualified Lead. The CSQL is another form of revenue optimization because now we have the lifetime value of a customer. You've optimized all the way through attracting, acquiring, and retention Now you're optimizing advocacy. 
because the client, the value of the client, typically the lifetime value was always calculated by what they spend month over month, year over year times how much time. But now the value of your client increases if you can get them to refer because then that client acquisition cost is reduced on the front end because CSQLs come from a paying customer and hopefully you've optimized the process to where you don't have a huge expense to get them to refer. Now all of a sudden you're optimizing revenue at a whole new level because you've reduced the client acquisition cost. So there's no marketing cost. There's no sales expense to get this qualified referral into the funnel. And they're not even really coming in top of funnel because typically referrals are much warmer. So they're already middle of funnel. They're already in consideration towards decision stage. And so the cost to acquire that customer is far less. If you continue that cycle, with optimizing the advocacy step, your revenue optimization as a whole is going to be far less expensive to acquire a retained customer than it's ever been in history. Hope this was a helpful episode for you today to learn all about revenue optimization. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you're interested in being on our show or want to learn more about how we can help you scale your company, connect with us at houseofrevenue.com or with me, Mary Grothy, spelled G-R-O-T-H-E on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram.